ask that you turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. I want to spend a few minutes this morning examining a passage of Scripture with you that I believe is going to help us, not just as fathers, but as parents and as families, about what we pour into the lives of our children. In Ephesians chapter 6, I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Father, over these next few moments, I pray that you would just give us some insight and enlighten us as to what your word means as it relates to we as fathers, particularly in parents in general and families, of what we pour into the lives of our children. I ask, O God, that with the help of the Holy Spirit that you would lead us to be more like you as a father every day. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Every school has one. Every teacher fears that child. Every parent is certain that their child is not one. You know the one. The kid who has a corrupting personality. The kid who influences your sweet, innocent child to do things that they would never do on their own. Today, those kind of kids are in prison or they're presidents of Fortune 500 companies or because God has a great sense of humor Some of them are pastors. 20 years ago, I was directing a youth camp, and as a perk of the job of this particular camp, I, as the director, had a cart that I could drive around all week at camp. That golf cart was mine. In fact, I was so possessive of it that when it came time for the orientation, I made a special announcement letting every camper know that the punishment for unauthorized use of my golf cart was instantly being expelled from camp, and just by chance, God might erase your name from the Lamb's Book of Life. (laughs) It was my practice every evening that I would get on this golf cart and I would drive to every cabin, knock on the door to make sure that the cabin counselors and those in charge were there and that all of the kids that were supposed to be in that cabin were there. And after doing that for the whole camp and knowing that at least every kid was where they were supposed to be, I would then go and I would park this golf cart right in front of a rail fence, right in front of my cabin, and I would go in, and Cindy and I would have our time when it finally got quiet for us to go to sleep. It was Wednesday morning of this camp, and I came out of the door. It was a beautiful, sunshiny day. I jumped on the golf cart, looked over my shoulder, threw the thing in reverse, and started to back up, and as I tried to turn it, the whole steering wheel fell off in my hand. I looked at that and recognized that the whole shaft had been broken off and that somebody slid it back on in such a way to make it look like nothing happened and that I ripped it off that morning by myself. As soon as breakfast was over, I called the whole camp together. Into the chapel we went and I had a serious meeting with them. And I began to apply, first of all, the Christian character argument of, listen, students, we had this 
discussion at the beginning, and I told nobody was supposed to touch my golf cart. Obviously, somebody did. You broke it. And so being that you're all godly people, would the guilty one please stand up and just come forward right now? We'll get this over quickly. You can pack your bags. You can go home. Somebody just admit, because Christ lives in all of you, that you're the guilty one, and nobody moved. As I looked over that room, I thought, okay, my mom taught me another argument. It was called the guilt trip. So I began to apply all the guilt that I could possibly apply to all of them, trying to get one of them to stand up and say, Pastor Doug, it was me. And after all the guilt that I could apply, apply I looked out there, and nobody moved. Now, in my mind, I knew that there were five or six kids at that campground that could have done it, and I was going to find the guilty one of those five. And as I'm walking up and down the aisles, I'm looking at their faces because one of them is going to twitch. (laughs) I couldn't see a twitch. It wasn't until my daughter's wedding, years and years and years later. You're running way ahead of me here. (laughs) That one of her friends got up And during one of the toasts, talked about the time at camp when they were little girls. When she got up in the middle of the night out of my cabin and went out and jumped on the cart. Did not know it had reverse, slammed on the thing and ran it right through a rail fence, broke the fence and snapped the steering wheel off of the golf cart. I was astonished. (laughs) She then put it back on in such a way that it was just barely hanging on, thinking that maybe I would jump on the cart the next morning and think that I broke it. So that's why whenever I look at her Facebook page and I see the antics of her children, I smile. (laughs) Because God has a way of leveling the ledger. About 12 years ago, my son was spending the night at a friend's house. I got a call from my son's youth pastor who told me that I heard a sound in my front yard. I opened the door and he says, there's toilet paper hanging from every branch in my yard. He said, there's little plastic forks all over the place. And he said, I caught a glimpse of a real tall kid and a real short kid running away down the street. He says, I instantly knew who it was. He says, just want you to know, I called one of the police officers in our church and I told him who to look for. And if he catch him, they're bringing him to your house. The next day, my son came home after escaping the police the night before. And I looked him in the eye and I said, who put you up to this? Now, as parents, we realize we ask that question, and it really is not for information-gathering purposes. It's really a question of hope. Because we really want them to answer somebody else's name. That it really is all that other person's fault dragging our innocent children into things that they would never think of doing on their own. And my son grinned and put his arm around me, and he goes, Dad, you underestimate me. (laughs) That was my idea. Shortly thereafter, I was on the phone with my father expressing my parental failure, and my dad started laughing uncontrollably. And he reminded me that my children are just like me. 
It's the first time I've ever called him a liar in my life. He then started recalling stories of my own mischief as a child and teenager that somehow had slipped from my memory. I think he was talking about my sister's. And I begin to realize, frightfully, that in many cases our children turn out just like us. They become what we pour into them. And I'd like to talk to you for just a few minutes about what are you pouring into your children. What are you pouring into your children? In Ephesians chapter 6, the verses that we read talked about three verses that we as fathers love and then one that we don't like so much. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for that is right, and honor your father and mother. We, we memorize that one as dads, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life, which really means that if you'll obey me, I won't kill you. <laughs> and then following that passage, we could just shred the rest of Ephesians and just move on with life, but then there's this verse 4 that simply says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. I want to talk not only to fathers today, it's Father's Day, I understand, but to parents in general about we are building a legacy, whether we like it or not. We are building something within our children, and the determination is what kind of legacy would you build. And so here we are as fathers and grandfathers, and, and, and for those of us that are grandfathers, this applies to us as well because I've come to understand that grandparents have a great deal of influence in the lives of, of at least your grandkids when they're small. They will listen to you when they're small. They get older and they become just like your children. But there is a process and there's a pattern within Scripture here of what it is to build a godly legacy that's found within Ephesians chapter 5 and 6. In fact, verse 4 of chapter 6 is really the conclusion of something that was being led up to through the, tr- the previous two chapters. And there are three cups that are up here today, and they correspond to the points, which is why they all have P, because my staff was talking about, what do I want to do with my P cups this morning? Now, for those of you that are listening online, that makes no sense to you whatsoever. But I have an illustration with different cups this morning that represents the different things that we have within our life that the way we live, we pour into our children. The first one being parenthood. Parenthood begins with personhood. There's a very important biblical pattern for building a legacy. In fact, fatherhood is the third step in the pattern. I want you to reflect back with me to a previous context in the previous chapter in Ephesians 5, verse 18, when it says, And be not drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So we have instruction from God himself to those of us who are parents as to the kind of people that we need to be, the kind of person that we are developing. Because the questions that your children are not asking today are this. They don't ask, what does my dad do? They don't ask, what kind of business is he in? They don't ask, what kind of money does my dad make? I want you to know that what your children are asking and the way that they are following you, what they are asking is, what kind of person is my dad? What kind of person, what kind of people are my parents? How do I know what they are really like? Now, we have lots of teachers that attend our church, and I've had enough conversations with them to understand that 
they are able, after a short period of time of being with the students in a class in any given year, to begin to formulate some ideas of what the homes are like of their students. They're able to do that based upon the way that the children interact with each other, the way, the way that they handle being angry, the way that they handle being corrected, the way they handle disappointment. All of these things percolate to the top, and it doesn't take long for our teachers to begin to recognize the kind of home life their students come from because they begin to mimic what they are like at home. And so if mom and dad act or react in a certain way, that will be the way that that child oftentimes acts. Acts and they mimic the behavior that they're seeing. And we are living in a day and age where many parents and many fathers and mothers no longer consider those things important. But I want you to know the scripture says that we are to be people of the Spirit and that we will pour that into the lives of our children. And so the first step that indicates, and how does dad, how do we build a proper legacy, is being people who are filled with the Spirit of God. Ephesians 5, verses 18 through 20 says this. And be not drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, debauchery means things like excessive indulgence and sensual pleasures or degenerate behavior or corruption or depravity. In other words, there are those who are without Christ that begin to look for other ways to cope. And as they find these ways, it leads them to behavior that when your children mimic it would be behavior that we would look at and say, where did they get that from? Verse 19 begins to talk to us as parents about the words that we use when it said, speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart. How many of you know that if you generally have an optimistic and happy household, that your children will generally be optimistic and happy as well? In fact, they will sing the same songs you sing. And so if you have a household where you're walking around the house and, and you're encouraging one another and you're lifting one another up, your children mimicking that because of the Spirit of God living within you will live in such a way that they will mimic the goodness of the mom and dad that they have. They'll learn to speak to other people by the way that you speak. Their moods will be affected by your moods and your actions will become their actions. And so the Lord says, be filled with the Spirit so that your actions are influenced by God. Verse 20, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you know that in America today we are the most unthankful society that's ever been? We are blessed with more stuff than anyone before us, and yet we live in the most unthankful society that has ever existed. This unthankfulness percolates within our life and ultimately is something that we invest into our children whether we think of it or not. I believe that we as godly parents need to be, number one, give thanks to God for everything, for every good and perfect gift has come from above. He's blessed us, and rather than saying we don't have enough, we should be thankful for everything that he has given to us so that when we pour out our, our nature and our children mimic it, they will be people that are thankful for what God gives them. And then it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, there's a humility and a basic kindness that our children will mimic in us when we are people that are filled with the Spirit. And so the first thing that we have to deal with as being fathers and parents is who are we as people? Because it's the personhood, the, the way that we are as people that we pour into our children. And so life is not about credentials. It's about character. And God wants to deal with our character. It's not about what we do. It's about who we are. 
And so on this Father's Day, as you begin to think about what am I pouring into the life of my child, let me tell you the first thing that you're pouring into the life of your children is the kind of person that you are. And it will take up space in their life. The kind of person that you are, you pour into your children. And you can't skip from personhood to parenthood because the text doesn't jump there. It goes someplace else first. After the Bible instructs us to be a spirit-controlled person, the very first application of being a spirit-controlled person is it, the way it is lived out in your marriage partnership. Personhood progresses to partnership. In fact, the first place that our personhood is tested in relationship is in a marriage relationship. And I, I tell just about everybody that ever comes through pre-marriage counseling with me that, you know what, marriage isn't necessarily there to make you happy. It's there to make you holy. God uses marriage to make you holy. Because living in a partnership with other individuals, what begins to percolate to the top is not the best of us, it's the worst of us. And then when it percolates to the top, the work of the Holy Spirit when given the opportunity is that he will take his hand and scrape that from us so that what remains in the partnership of a holy union is that which God alone can create in us. We bring our flawed persons together in a partnership and we expect that everything's going to be perfect and it doesn't work that way. And here's the way the scripture addresses that as the next stage in this when he simply says, husbands, love your wives. Husbands, love your wives. Do you realize that one of the great issues in a child's life is how dad treats mom? A child's sense of security within the family is wrapped up in how tight is the partnership in marriage between mom and dad. I am so blessed that I grew up in a Christian home, and my mom and dad were very fun-loving, and, and my dad and mom flirted together all the time. They would get home, and dad would say something or whistle, or they'd pinch, and, and we as kids are going, this is so gross. I learned that he got that from my grandfather who did the same thing with grandmother and luckily she slowed down in her older age and he was able to catch her more often. So my dad learned from his father and as we looked at that, there, there are moments when me and my younger sisters would look at them and go, you guys are from another planet. We can't have any friends over because you just embarrass us. And then we would sit back in our rooms at night and never once did we ever feel as if the seams were falling apart in our life because we knew the partnership was strong. We knew mom and dad, even in times of difficulty, in times of disagreement, worked things out in prayer and that the family unit, that partnership was strong. And so the scripture begins to instruct us as, as husbands and and. In this passage, he gives us two models of how to give a godly legacy within the aspect of partnership. And the first one's found in verse 25 when he simply says, Love your wife as Christ loved the church. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. Now let me try on a few words on for size for you guys as we get through this. Here, here is what your wives think of when they read this passage of Scripture. Well, love me by sacrificing for me. You'll sacrifice for me by, by meeting my needs before you meet your own needs. Or how about words like sensitivity? 
being sensitive to, to her needs and what's going on in your family or, or trying on words like unconditional. Have any of you ever heard that word before? Unconditional. That means that even if you suspect that there are days when she flies through the house on a broom, that you love her anyway. You see, the commitment to your personhood is being poured into a partnership that has a foundation that is built on the, the sustaining grace of God who reminds us as fathers, you're not perfect either. And sometimes you're harder to live with than you think you are. I have a friend of mine named Bob Reeves who is a pastor in a church in Rochester, and he's a brilliant man. I love talking to him just to learn new words from his vocabulary and he was telling me a story recently where he got in the car and he told his wife, I love you, and she looked at him and she goes, why? <laughs> Caught him off guard completely. Because I love you. Why? What do you love about me? Now, I told you he's really smart. So here's what he said, and guys, you might want to take notes about this. I'll never be able to use this, but maybe you can. He said, sweetheart, if I begin to give you reasons of what I love about you now, if those reasons ever change, then my love would change. Oh, isn't that good? <laughs> he said, I love you because you are. I love you because of who we are. He says, if I told you I loved you because you're beautiful, if anything ever happened and you felt you weren't beautiful, then my love that was conditioned upon that beauty would dissipate. If I told you I loved you because you're a good cook and something happened and your arms were broken and you couldn't cook anymore, then you would fear that my love for you was only associated with what you could do for me. He says, I just love you because you are. Is that, that's good. That is so good. I said, how did she respond? He goes, I don't think she bought it. We love our wives because our personhood demands that we do what God told us to do. But because we are men, one example wasn't good enough, and so the Holy Spirit had to repeat this lesson in a different way. Wives, have you ever had to say anything to your husband more than once? Do you see how much wiser our women are than the guys? There wasn't a single hand that went up. Okay, one hand. And so as if that wasn't a good enough lesson for us, he moves on into verse 28 and 29, and he says this. In the same way, husbands, if you're not getting the loving unconditionally like Jesus loved the church, here's another way. Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies because he who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and he cares for it just as Christ does the church. I have never met a person that doesn't love themselves, that doesn't wish to be able to take care of themselves because here it is for us guys. When I have a need, I take care of my need. If I'm hungry, I know the favorite cereals that I like to have and I, I just, I can take, when, I'm, when I have a need, I take care of myself because I love myself. And I take care of myself and my needs tenderly and eagerly. And the Lord says, okay, guys, I want you to understand from my perspective, this is the way that I want you to pour your personhood into your partnership, and I want you to love your wives the same way you love your own bodies. Now, if we didn't get the first part about Christ loving the church and that unconditional thing, then he brings it right down to where we live, and he says, okay, you're the example. Treat her as good as you treat yourself. And we're going, oh, okay. 
here's the way that we can live this out, men, in a way that would be significant to our wives and families. One of the most difficult things husbands do or have to do is to pray with your wife and family every day. The reason being is because men have been called to be the priest of their homes, to be the spiritual direction givers for their families, and the enemy will fight everything he's got within you to keep you men feeling so insecure that you won't pray over your wife or for your wife or hold her or your kids and pray for them because he knows if I can rob that out of the family, then I have removed the ability of the Lord to bring full protection around them. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to take a 30-day challenge, men. And over the next 30 days, don't you leave the house in the morning or let your wife leave the house in the morning before you have taken her into your arms and just hug her and pray for her. Now, you don't have to have all of these great words. That's what men are afraid of is, what if, what if I sound foolish to her? She knows you. In fact, you'll probably scare her by just hugging her in the first place. She doesn't care that your breath smells bad if you haven't had coffee yet. But the aspect of being embraced by you, and then in that embrace, simply say, Father God, only you know what this day holds. I don't want my wife, the one you've given me in partnership to raise our children together, I don't want her to leave this house until I have prayed a covering of protection over her and my family. And I want you to know it's not the words that you use that will bless her heart. It's the idea that I have been cared for. My husband loves me enough to pray protection over me. You do that for 30 days and you watch what begins to take place in that partnership. There are some keys to a woman's heart that can only be opened spiritually by your care. If after 30 days it hasn't become a habit yet, she will remind you. Ladies, let me just add this. For some men, it's going to be really, really uncomfortable. And so don't correct them when they pray. Don't say, you know, you forgot this, you forgot this, you forgot this. Don't say, is, is really, that's the best prayer you can do? Because you literally will steal the heart. You will steal the heart of spiritual concern right out of that man. He's walking on a rope that's very thin as it is. Now, you can make it wider by your response, or you can sever that. And there are some women that are living the results of a fractured partnership because they made comments early in their marriage about his spiritual care, which made him back right off because he's afraid he can't be good enough. So be cautious in your response to that spiritual care as he's walking in obedience because... What will fill your child's life will not only be the person that he is, but will also be the kind of partnership that the two of you have together that will fill that child's life and what they will be like. The third thing that is mentioned to us in Scripture is then in partnership, after his personhood is poured into your children and the partnership of your marriage is poured into your children, then the partnership tackles the responsibility of parenthood. In verse 4 of chapter 6, it then says, Fathers, do not exasperate, which means don't provoke your children to wrath. 
What is being introduced here in this passage of Scripture is really fascinating because it's the first time in Scripture that there's ever a mention of a correlation between a father's care and a child's feelings. First time. And it was fresh in the gospel here. And so it was something that for fathers, they were arrested where they were that suddenly they, I have to be concerned about how my children feel because in this society, fathers had the absolute authority. And so taking a child's feelings into consideration was something that was brand new. And so the thought of being an Ephesian father was this, being confronted by Scripture that the heart of the father must be turned to the heart of the child. And that in this connection, the father then can take the heart of a child after having having had that influence and introduce them to the heart of the Savior. The father takes a role in that. Too often we have left it to the women of society to lead our children spiritually, and the Scripture was introducing for the very first time, Dads, this is your responsibility. You win the child's heart. You then teach them about the most important relationship in your life, which is Jesus. And for the Ephesians, this was something that was brand new. In fact, we see in Luke chapter 1, verse 17, that the angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah, and he had prophesied with his, his wife Elizabeth that she was going to bear a son. And one of the duties that was prophesied of John the Baptist is this. that says, and he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. There had been a broken connection that needed to be restored. Dads. You've got to reach the hearts of your children. Because in that influence, then you will have a spiritual influence within their life. And so when our children are born into our family, God allows there to be a spiritual influence in the heart of dad to reach the heart of the children, to lead them to the Savior, and then in that there's some stability that God begins to bring to the family. Sometimes, Dad, we get caught up with the wrong things. Sometimes we are so concerned, and how many of you heard this? I want my kids to have a better life than I have. Have any of you ever heard that? Have any of you ever said that? Unfortunately, some of the things that brought the generation previous to us that gave them solid character was the leanness of the family life. And they learned as families to work together for a goal. And I know people that when they went to work, they gave all the money to the family. And parents are going, I don't want to live like that. I want my kids to have it better. And so we've worked so hard to make sure our kids have it better. They don't know want. And as a result of not wanting want, they don't often know what it means to be in a family working together as a unit moving forward. So some of the things that we've been blessed with have been used to fracture that relationship between the father and his children because he says, I love you and I show it to you, but I go to work and I might work 12 hours a day. I'm not home, but I'm loving you. you got to see that this is love to me. And the kids go, I don't care. Because it's not the money of you, Dad, that I want. It's your time that I want. It's your energy that I want. One of the saddest things I ever heard was at a funeral of one of our pastors. It was a man that I highly respected. Everywhere he had gone, God had blessed his ministry, and he built wonderful buildings and had tremendous congregations, people that loved him and respected him. He was a a board member on some of our Bible colleges, and from the outside, people would look at him and say, I want to be just like him. 
And at this massive funeral, his son, who was 30, stood up, and he surprised everybody by standing there and looking at this huge crowd saying, I have to tell you today, I'm a little mad. I am mad because all of you got more of my dad's attention than I did. I'm a little mad because whenever the phone rang and dad and I had plans, our plans were severed so that he could run to the hospital to be with one of you. I'm mad because whenever we would go on vacation, there would be a call and we would leave our vacation to run back home to the church to be with you. And he said, the church is full today of people that know my dad is one that is responsive, but I have to tell you today, his response to you robbed me of a father. He said, I kept, he said, he kept telling me, son, there's going to come a day and I'm going to pay it all back to you. I'm going to pay it all back to you. And he goes, and today I'm standing here to tell you he never got a chance. He says, my greatest memory with my dad are the two times that we went to Yankee Stadium together in my life and saw a baseball game. All I ever wanted from him was time. And I learned something that day that I want to share with you as fathers. I found out that my children are not impressed with who I am. Do you know that my grandkids don't care that I pastor Grace Assembly of God? I walk in all the time and say, you don't know who I am, do you? They don't care. Because when I walk in with my grandkids, my almost three-year-old granddaughter looks at me and with the name she picked out for me, which is Popeye, she says, Popeye, sit. Oh, I can stand. No, sit. Play dolls. Because she knows that if I sit, I'm old enough, it's harder for me to get up right away. And I've recognized that our children, as we're talking about what do we pour into their lives, we pour who we are as people. We pour the security of the partnership we have in marriage. And the third one, we pour into them. As we throw and pour into the aspect of parenting, how do we parent together? All they want is for you to climb into their world and give them the time. In fact, I watch all the time. We have fields that are near our house, and there are thousands now on Sundays that are out there. And if you roll down your window, you can hear kids all over yelling this to their parents. Hey, watch this. Hey, watch me. Watch me. Watch me. Mom and Dad, watch me. Why? Because they don't care what they drive. They don't care what they do. They care about the attention. And that in that parenting attention, something happens. You know what about my father in heaven? He wrote all this to us. And he literally demonstrated it by climbing right into our world. Climbed right in. He met me right where I'm at. That's what my heavenly father did for me. He took me by the hand and he walks me through every season and he walks me through every stage until he finally and ultimately will lift me to his world that he's prepared for me and we will never be separated again. And my Soul attention will be on him and his on me. And for those of you fathers here today that are sitting here going, I wish I had heard this when I was getting started because I feel like a failure today. Let me tell you something. That is the joy of serving a God that when we come and we meet him, he says, I will make you brand new. I will make you a new creation. That which is old will be passed away and you can start today and make everything new. 
And for those of you who say, my kids are grown, I've blown that opportunity. Let me tell you something. The one thing I've learned about kids is they'll always give dad a second chance. So today may be the day that you need the father to climb into your world and change your life and change you. So you pour into the, your children. Who are they going to become? The person that you are. The partnership. And then together, the parents that you are. And what we fill the life of our children with, what they end up looking like when we've walked with God are the three parts that God said in Scripture that we need. doesn't sound anything like what the world wants to teach your kids. sounds an awful lot like the father who wants to make sure that you look like him. I'm going to ask all the men in this church to stand up, if you would. Boys, too. Because I want to encourage you today, and I'm going to ask that you come forward and stand at the altar. I'm going to pray for you in a minute. If you're a guest here today, come on up. I'm not going to embarrass you. Doesn't matter if you're father or not. Just come on up. It's, it's men and pre-men. Here's what I want to share with you today, men. The scripture tells us that who we are is what gets mimicked. So let's be people and men of the spirit. Let's ask God's nature to have such influence in us that regardless of what situation we're in, what happens to us and what comes out of us is his nature and not our own. The kind of people that we are. And then I pray for those of you who are married today that you would take the responsibility of being spiritual leaders in your own situation, in your own home. That your wives and your children would know what it's like to be embraced and prayed for and understand that as a husband and a father we, we ask God to help us in the things we have no control over we send our kids out and we don't know what's going on in their lives but Lord we've prayed for their mom and we've prayed for them today and then in partnership you tackle parenting together because there's never been a day when we need wisdom as, as fathers more than we need it today and now I'm going to ask all the ladies if you'd please stand and if you kind of stretch forth a hand just as joining us as a point of faith as I pray for these men Father we stand here today and we are acutely aware of all of our failures we're acutely aware of all of our character flaws our sin, our weaknesses as dads sometimes we see those in our children way, way, way earlier than we ever see any of our good qualities. And we stand in front of you today, Lord God, asking that there would be a dispensation of your nature and love that would just be planted within us to help us today be better dads and grandfathers and influencers in whatever sphere you placed us in. For the men that are standing here right now and are not yet married or those that are hoping someday to find a woman that God would bring into their life, I ask, Lord, that the word today would be planted in their heart that they could start off better and learning more and knowing more than some of us did. I pray that we who have some experience could be wise in the way that we counsel other young men. 
And that more than anything else, that the life that we live publicly would demonstrate your grace within us. I pray for the marriages of our church, Father, because I understand that they are under spiritual attack. So many things seek to break down the strong foundation that you desire for us. And today I pray in the name of Jesus that you would surround every house and every marriage and make them strong as we obey you. And then I pray for parents, Lord God, facing situations and temptations for their children that are beyond what we can imagine. And I ask, oh God, that you would give divine influence. Help the father's heart toward his children to win them so that he can introduce them to the Savior, the scriptural pattern for building a godly legacy. And Father, when we fail and when we fall down, and we will, I pray that by your strong arms you would lift us back up. For those that may have lived in situations where dad was not there and they have images of their father that caused them anxiety, I pray today that you bring healing to those things. For those that may have felt as if they have failed you, I pray that today would be the day that they would simply invite you into their life and they would become a follower of Jesus so that they can start brand new. But on this Father's Day, we look to you, our Heavenly Father, the model of great love, the model of partnership, and the model of parenthood. And we ask that you would plant your nature in us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.